Mike Check 717. This is Eric T. Jones, a.k.a. Brother Jones, and I just need five minutes of your time. Today, I'm going to complete my book review on the second Race and Guns in a Fatally Unequal America by historian Carol Anderson. If you didn't listen to the book review's first episode, I encourage you to stop and listen to episode number seven. As I mentioned last week, chapters one and two of the second help us see how there was an ongoing cycle of slavery, resistance, and repression via the Second Amendment from the colonial era leading up to the Civil War, the right to a well-regulated militia, the right to bear arms, and the right to self-defense was about controlling enslaved and free black people. Chapters three and four review the initial backlash against emancipation and how that resistance established a precedent against black citizenship. In chapter three, Anderson writes, the United States responded to freedom by granting whites the right to kill Negroes. Far too many whites were unwilling to accept black citizenship, so they resorted to violence. Andrew Johnson was apathetic toward the backlash. He pardoned Confederates, enabling them to reassert control over the South. I'm going to read a graphic quote from the book that captures the essence of this violence. It reads, Johnson was also unfazed, as is a misery. Carl Schurz reported in late 1865 on the mouths and mouths of recently butchered black bodies hanging from trees lying in ditches and clogging roadways, dismembered limbs shrewn everywhere, severed ears dotting the landscape, burning and decomposing flesh, making it almost impossible to breathe. Anderson's investigation of this violence from Reconstruction through World War I demonstrates the outright hatred some whites projected on the blacks. Good Negro, bad Negro, soldier, civilian, it didn't matter. Their emancipation was threatening. She assesses four race massacres in the 19th and 20th centuries that underscore her point. Number one, the Colfax race massacre. Number two, the Hamburg race massacre. Number three, the Atlanta race massacre. Number four, the Elaine race massacre. If you aren't familiar with these events, please look them up. But Anderson shows how white posses with assistance from the military violated blacks' right to self-defense. In addition, she notes how this violation was reinforced by the Supreme Court. In United States v. Cruikshank, the court nullified enforcement acts aimed to protect blacks from the KKK. Even the United States' entry into World War I to make the world safe for democracy, Woodrow Wilson's words, not mine, failed to equalize citizenship. Chapter 3 concludes on a powerful statement that reads, emancipation and reconstruction had not led to the promised land. Instead, blacks were ushered into the killing fields. African-Americans military uniforms angered, their self-defense enraged, their right to bear arms triggered, their claims to citizenship lynched. Chapter four discusses the Black Panther Party for self-defense and the contemporary events that define the Black Lives Matter era. I emphasize the Black Panther's original name because one of their primary objectives was the eradication of police brutality. The Panthers patrolled their neighborhoods, gun in hand, police and the police, which enraged law enforcement. They couldn't fathom being monitored by blacks who understood the law and exercised their right to open carry. 
As a result, law enforcement convinced California State Representative Don Mulford to spearhead an assault on blacks' constitutional rights through Assembly Bill 1591, also known as the Mulford Act, which made open carry illegal. On a federal level, the Gun Control Act of 1968 responded to the race rebellions during the 1960s across the country. Unfortunately, politicians like Richard Nixon exploited this social unrest for political gain. Journeying into the contemporary issues, Anderson's analysis documents how the Castle Doctrine and Stand Your Ground laws don't apply to blacks. For instance, Katherine Johnson and Breonna Taylor's deaths expose the Castle Doctrine's limitations within a context of no-knock warrants. Regarding Stand Your Ground, well, you should know Trayvon Martin's death proved that got nothing to do with protecting our lives. In Epilogue, Anderson compares the Cal Rittenhouse and Tamir Rice incidents to bring her point home. Rittenhouse illegally purchased an AR-15, traveled to Kenosha, Wisconsin with bad intentions, murdered two people, and was taken into custody alive. Meanwhile, Tamir Rice had a toy gun and died within seconds of police arriving on the scene. No questions asked. If you want to know why, you don't have to look any further than Tucker Carlson. Anderson quotes Carlson, who said, How shocked are we that 17-year-olds with rifles decided they had to maintain order when no one else would? To conclude, the Second Amendment from colonial to contemporary America is about protecting the racial order through guns. I would encourage you to read the second. It's a great book that illustrates the historical trajectory of anti-blackness via the Second Amendment, proving once again the law isn't colorblind. So when you see these far-right organizations like the Three Percenters, the Oath Keepers, or the Proud Boys flood the streets with their guns, it should be a huge red flag. Well, my five minutes are up, even though I have more to say. Keep your head on the swivel until next time.